0: I think there's a real problem, not just following your own playbook, but I think there's a real problem with these playbooks from other companies that are you know, other people will come out and say, oh, this is the playbook I use to grow from 1 million ARR to 150 million ARR. So you get really Mm -hmm. excited because you're at 3 million ARR and you don't really know what to do and you're struggling to get to that next milestone. And so you pick up someone else's 150 million ARR and you say, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. I'm going to whack this in. This will solve all of the problems. And parts of it might work for you. And you might be feeling like, actually, yeah, okay, this is okay. This is all right. But In the case that unless you've got an identical product, an identical audience, and an identical sort of time, it's going to be very, very difficult to have that work
1: for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we are joined by Nick Roberts. Nick's been a candidate and a client of ours over the years, so it's great to catch up with him. Currently, he's Marketing Director of V, where he's been brought on board to help them scale and put some predictability behind their marketing. So a great person to talk to about the good and the bad of playbooks. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast, Nick.
0: Hey, how's it going, Matt?
1: All good here. Thank you. All good. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know a little bit more about you and your background and what you're currently up to right now.
0: Sure, definitely. So I've been in B2B marketing now for the better part of a decade. and of seven of that, I've been at various stages of B2B SaaS companies from very, very early seed stage startup, less than 20 employees, all the way through to more established startups like Global App Testing. And then most recently, V, where we're resuscitating a brand that has had some interesting connotations over the last few years. So it's kind of like executing a startup in a company that has a nine-year-old history, which is really interesting. We explain it as kind of like switching cars as you're driving down the motorway at 75 (laughs) miles an hour. You don't often get the opportunity to start at a company where you already have a thousand customers. Yeah. And so then what do you do with that? How do you then become a startup
1: again? It's like a restart.
0: Yeah, it's exactly like a restart, actually. I mean, there's baggage, of course, there's always going to be some baggage. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, it's been really exciting.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty cool because you've got some stuff to go at, haven't you? Rather than it just being a totally blank sheet of paper, which, you know, has its benefits too, I guess. But at least you've got some stuff to play with. You've got some data, you've seen what's happening. They've got some customers and, you know, you've got some things to actually do from that. It sounds pretty exciting. So we're obviously here to talk a little bit about playbooks and sort of developing your own playbook. But initially then, why do you think marketers are obsessed with playbooks?
0: I love this because I think marketers are obsessed with playbooks because there's an innate desire to have a roadmap put out in front of you with easy, repeatable steps that you can just step in, execute and complete. There's something comforting about that, right? It's a warm blanket over you. And you're like, right, I know what to do. I can come in, I can execute, I can do exactly what I've done previously. And as someone who's had three SaaS roles in the last seven years at different B2B companies. Each time I've been hired on the strength of what I've done the last time. And if your interview process is any good, you're doing something similar, but you can't just go in and do that same thing, even though it would feel really comfortable to do that, unless you're really just moving from one company to another in the same industry you're going to be very upset if you just sort of execute the same old playbooks that you've been executing. Because, you know, at the same time, the business around you is different and the world and the industry that you're in is likely different as well.
1: I mean, I like the idea of a playbook. I'm quite sort of process driven as a person. So the thought of actually being able to take a playbook and work through it from sort of A to Z interests me, certainly. But I get what you're saying. I mean, what do you think some of the problems are with following a playbook necessarily is them?
0: To be honest, I'm not against playbooks. I actually really enjoy and really suggest that you do create playbooks wherever you're at. And I think that having a playbook for demand generation and marketing overall is a really, really smart idea because it allows you, like you said, to have a complete sort of process from A to Z. I think the problem with using existing playbooks is that you are essentially trying to replicate what someone else has done, even if it's you, trying to replicate something else you've done in the past. It's sort of like when you watch remakes or reboots of your favorite TV show and they've brought all the old cast together. It feels close. (laughs) <laughs> but it's just not the same. The characters are now 30 years older or 40 years older or whatever. They're doing similar things, but it just doesn't feel quite the same. It doesn't have the same impact, doesn't capture the same zeitgeist, if you will. Yeah. And the problem with that is you're going to generally stick to that and you might get okay-ish results and you might be lulled into a sense of like, oh, well, that's actually doing okay that's not bad. Let's renew this (laughs) reboot for another season, even (laughs) though it's actually not that great and it doesn't capture the same intensity. And I think there's a real problem, not just following your own playbook, but I think there's a real problem with these playbooks from other companies that are you know, other people will come out and say, oh, this is the playbook I use to grow from 1 million ARR to 150 million ARR. So you get really Mm. excited because you're at 3 million ARR and you don't really know what to do and you're struggling to get to that next milestone. And so you pick up someone else's 150 million ARR and you say, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. I'm going to whack this in. This will solve all of the problems. And parts of it might work for you. And you might be feeling like, actually, yeah, okay, this is okay. This is all right. But In the case that unless you've got an identical product and identical audience and an identical sort of time, it's going to be very, very difficult to have that work for you. You know, I know plenty of companies who during the pandemic said, oh, the switch to webinars was fantastic for us. It was absolutely incredible. And everybody Hmm. just loved it. And it was just smack on. But not everybody had that same experience, but everyone was trying to sort of implement a webinar playbook and a webinar program. So, depending on sort of your audience and depending on who you were targeting, webinars might have been a complete catastrophe for you. And in that situation, you can invest a lot of time and effort for not much reward, even though that same playbook got someone to 50 million ARR, for instance.
1: Yeah, And I think time is the crucial bit because, you know, if you're thinking about tactics like SEO, as an example, trying to compete on keywords that a business (laughs) was creating content for five years ago is next to impossible these days. And you think about, you know, if you type in anything related to marketing, a brand audit, whatever it might be, you know, who's going to be appearing at the top. It's going to be the usual suspects of PubSpot and businesses like that. So I think the time element is a critical one as well. So let's create a scenario There, we've just joined a new business as a marketer and we're going to create our own playbook. From a metrics point of view, what do we need to know first and why?
0: Oh, this a great question. I think the first thing you need to know is what do you want to know? what's important to that business in the stage of that business. Mm. So if you joined a new business and the business really is new and doesn't have very many customers at all, you're not going to have much data to pull from. It's going to be very difficult for you to sort of take a very data-driven perspective at this. And even when I joined V. The assumption was that there's quite a bit of data to pull from. Well, actually, no, there wasn't a lot of data to pull from, which is sort of bizarre in that respect. It just sort of seemed like, oh, yeah, that data wasn't necessarily being captured from an acquisition perspective. Mm. On the product side, it was fantastic, of course, but the actual marketing side of things, there was no funnel metrics or math to go off of. That posed a bit of a problem because you need to understand initially what your acquisition costs are. Like, What's it costing you to get a customer currently? is that effective? Is it working for the business? What are the conversion rates within the funnel? Where are deals coming in? Where are they getting stuck? And where are all those hanging out? And I like to think of things as like the Christmas tree. Do you have a Christmas tree funnel, which you've got lots of deals fat at the bottom and you've got nothing up at the top. People in the business might tell you, oh, you know, the thing we need to focus on is improving the conversion at the bottom of the funnel. Well, if you've got a really big Christmas tree type funnel and you can imagine that the top of the funnel you know it's very pointed and there's not very much in there, you know, and you've only got ten deals and you make a ten percent improvement, you're not going to be getting very far ultimately mm. in your acquisition and what you want to do is then be looking at those kinds of things and saying, actually, as much as I'd love to improve the bottom of the funnel, if we just got a bunch more in at the top, if we focus more on the awareness of the company. We're going to end up with a lot more deals just by virtue of the effort, Mm. especially if you're the first marketer in the business, let's say, you've got to really choose what you focus on and you can't be pulled into too many scenarios all at once. Mm. Once you've established those kinds of things, the lifetime values of your customer, the time to value, what do customers enjoy about your product and where do they find that things are really working for them? That's when you can start to develop the playbook. That's when you can start to figure out, okay, this is how we're going to start experimenting and figuring out what should go into the playbook.
1: Mm. Because you're thinking of a funnel then basically. So you can almost just map out some broad metrics to say, okay, well, if we're putting this amount in the top, we're going to get this amount at the back. And we know roughly how much that's costing us at the moment. And we know roughly how long the lifetime value of a client. Therefore, we're going to get payback at this date. So you can almost a bit like a mathematician, I guess, and start to just sort of play around with that model in your head or even on a scrap piece of paper or wherever it might be.
0: Yeah, I do it on Google Sheets or Excel or, or whatever. And I'm transparent about it and put it out there immediately. Mm. So everyone to see like, this is the mathematics of where everything's at currently. Mm. Everyone might have some preconceived notions about things and about how improving you know, the bottom of the funnel is where we need to be because we need to get more deals across the line. But mm. actually, even if we improved that by 50%, which is a huge increase, we're adding one more customer. Mm. When actually we want to increase the top of funnel by 50% so that we can add a lot more at the bottom.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. What about messaging then or repeatedly getting prospects interested in what you have to say? Why is that important? And is that kind of like a feeling then that you're getting in that sort of pipeline velocity, sort of people sort of moving through that funnel fairly quickly? Or is it something that you can measure?
0: There's a little bit of measurement and then there's a little bit of thin slicing. Mm. I'm a huge fan of Malcolm Gladwell and his notion of thin slicing, which is when you've got enough information to make a decision that actually more information isn't going to improve or worsen that decision making. And so you can absolutely get data to test some of this stuff. And I highly recommend implementing things like Google Optimize right away to start running tests on your messaging on all your pages or as many pages as you can just to see, is there a difference? Are things changing when you make changes? How do customers react to a different set of messages? Once you do that, you can then start getting some data. Now, as most SaaS early stage or even mid-stage startups aren't going to have massive amounts of traffic whereby you're getting statistically significant results here, Mm. but you can get a general feeling like after a couple of weeks, okay, this is generally a better messaging to go with, and then make that the new message and then test it again, and then make that the new message and test it and test it and test it, keep on refining it, but then using your gut to make that decision and then flow that out to the rest of the business. Mm. I'm a fan of having the SDR team or your outbound team or your development team as part of marketing as well, because they have access then to the newest messaging as fast as possible. And you can roll those learnings out across your demand generation function very quickly. And that allows you to then get that velocity you were mentioning. And that's where maybe some of the performance can be measured especially if you do it in a cohort analysis kind of way. You can say, right, in October, we used this kind of messaging. Okay, well, how did that affect our funnel? Mm. And then in November, we used this type of messaging. Well, that was worse for the funnel. Mm. Let's go back to October's, can we improve that?
1: Yeah. And the SDR team can do that from a qualitative perspective as well, I guess. They can be testing the message. Is it landing? Are there any reservations? What are customers saying? Are there any questions? And that sort of gives you a an understanding of how it's been received by prospects as well.
0: Yeah, they're your front line. They're having more conversations with prospects than you could ever possibly hope to have. And so getting regular feedback from them about what they're hearing and what people are saying back to them in response to the messaging that you have out there is sort of your gold nuggets that you can pull from.
1: Hmm. So we've sort of built the sort of funnel from a metrics point of view. We've talked about the kind of messaging and working on that messaging. Once those two bits are done then how do you sort of decide what sort of channels to use i mean there are so many channels out there these days
0: it's 100% where your target customer your ideal prospect lives and breathes mm. and it's only that place mm. it's only that place as often as possible in the same way that i'm a big advocate of experimenting and testing various messaging the same thing goes for quick iterative tests in those specific channels when i was at global App testing one of the targets is very technical folks, and they don't necessarily enjoy being outbound messaged on LinkedIn or outbound messaged really at all. <laughs> so you've then got to find where do those people live. Even if you know from a previous business that you can create leads via LinkedIn, mm. that target audience just isn't living there. They just don't live and breathe that. They live Stack Overflow or you know Hacker News or you know somewhere else like that. So it's that playbook thing where if you're just applying the playbook you've used before. You can probably get some leads from that, but it's not going to generate the massive sort of groundswell that you're looking for. But all that has to be taken into context of can you afford to advertise in that channel? If you can, then you've got to try to drum up guerrilla tactics to sort of be involved and be able to talk to them, not surreptitiously, but, you know, like actually be a member of that community and engage and be there to help and support
1: yeah and if you're working as a sort of smaller team then i mean would you suggest sort of picking a smaller number of channels and giving it more attention then or would you sort of think about going broader to start off with
0: run some tests in a couple of sprints have two three four five two week sprints testing lots of different messaging and lots of different channels Mm. figure out where you're getting the earliest traction possible and then double down yeah double down in that channel as much as possible have three or four maximum areas that you're paying attention to, including broadly SEO, if you're doing that, paid, and then really just sort of double down into those areas and make sure that that's where you live and breathe as much as possible and that you're feeding that back out. And I think that's where you're going to find the best results. I mean, that's how I decide what channels to use. Mm. And until we've sort of tapped that well completely dry then that's when you move on to another channel.
1: Yeah. And what about sort of SEO then? Because that's more of a longer play, isn't it? It's just a bit harder to perhaps experiment that you can do with, say, paid ads, for instance. How do you sort of think about that?
0: Yeah, I think of SEO as a very long-term gain. Some of the results that I was getting from global ad testing from SEO were three, four years in the making. Mm. Right away, setting out the ship and then letting the business know that it's a long-term investment and that those things aren't going to pay off for 12 to 18 months, potentially, mm. because many companies will want to do SEO. And then six months in, it's like, oh, well, where's the results? <laughs> That's not working. It's like, well, actually, if you dig a little deeper... You weren't listed anywhere for this key phrase six months ago, and now you're on page two. Yeah, nobody clicks on page two. Nobody (laughs) cares at all. But that's actually a pretty massive achievement. Eventually, as long as it's going in the right direction, you'll get to page one if you keep that investment going. But if you don't, then you've just stopped short of the finish line. You've run the marathon, and you're eight miles in, and say, ah, that's good enough. If you could have pushed through and got a little further, you would have started to see the results that you needed to sort of push you along.
1: Yeah, you, know, you definitely need a bit of patience. So part of a playbook is sort of creating something that's repeatable then as well. I mean, you touched on it slightly earlier about experimentation then. How do you sort of blend experimentation with creating something that's repeatable? I mean, there's a lot of talk about certain channels, you're actually running out of bandwidth in certain channels after a while. The costs are perhaps going up or they're not working as well if you like. How do you sort of blend that sort of repeatability with the experimentation then?
0: Create an experimentation backlog. Hmm. So have regular experimentation brainstorming sessions with your team, with other people from the business and just capture ideas and just start logging those in a backlog and then make it a commitment to start executing those experiments on a regular basis. Mm. That in itself becomes its own playbook and it becomes its own area of ideas that you can then tap from and say, yeah, this experiment idea came from our customer success team. We should go back to that well because they've got some really interesting ideas and it really had this kind of impact. With the experimentation backlog, again, also create that so that it's in a very transparent way. So let people know, hey, if you've got ideas, here's a form, drop your ideas in for experiments that we can run as a demand generation or a growth function, Hmm. and then decide sort of how you want to prioritize those based on pretty simple, just sort of rice method and figure out, you know, how many people can you actually touch and impact with that? And it's repeatable in the sense that if you create a process around it within the business to do that then that's going to work. But sort of pulling it back to the playbook idea is that that might not work for the business, Mm. right? You may walk into a business where experimentation is not a thing that is favored or desired. And I think can think of plenty of industries where you probably can experiment much healthcare and legal and, Mm. you know, areas that are highly regulated, where if you went in and you just started whacking in a bunch of experiments, quick, fast and dirty, you might find yourself in a bit of trouble. That might not be the best approach. So, you've got to sort of take the temperature of the business and understand whether or not you need to make those organizational changes first. Or if you just have to say, look, we're actually not going to have a culture of that sort of experimentation here. Or if we are, we're only going to do it in these very sort of niche, narrow bands that we can operate in.
1: Yeah, because it's time consuming as well, I guess, is the experimentation. It's good to be doing it, but ultimately, you've only got so much bandwidth as a small marketing team as well. You know, you push from pillar to post as it is anyway, really. What if you're sort of working for an early stage startup then without much data? You know, how would you approach that sort of situation then?
0: I feel like that's been my experience (laughs) to date, (laughs) to be honest with you. The thing is, start collecting as soon as possible. Hmm. I would say from day one, make sure that everything's up and running from a statistical data capture analysis perspective declare to the business that you want to be data driven and find out where the data is hmm. even if it's not necessarily being captured and surfaced you know everything's tracked now for the most part and it's somewhere in the business now if you can't access it that's something that you can work on and you can start to build out but you know essentially you can put things in place right away you know when I joined V immediately we started with tracking conversions tracking analytics tracking SEO tracking all the sort of major data points that we would need from a marketing function. And I was the only person in and the only remit really at the time was hiring people. So hiring people and building out a team, but I knew that if I brought them in and they didn't have any data to work from at all, they would be three months behind the curve. And so making sure that you've got that in place The stuff that you can track and the stuff that you can record, then do it and start it as soon as possible. Because, you know, you're going to start to build that library of data points, which you can then look back on. You know, now nine months in at V, I've got a treasure trove of things that I can say, okay, cool, this is where we're at. This is what we've achieved. And this is how we can take things into 22. And Mm. yeah, my confidence level on the accuracy of the data might be a C plus. Mm. But next year, the goal is to get that to like a B. It's solid, we can forecast pretty well now because we've now got a whole year's worth of data and funnel metrics and funnel information to sort of pull from.
1: Great stuff. And what sort of tools do you generally use? I mean, Google Analytics, Google Optimize, you talked about. What sort of tools do you tend to use in your situation, I guess?
0: Microsoft has a free tool called Clarity and Clarity enables you to sort of do some of the stuff that Hotjar does, especially if you're limited with budget. Mm. Definitely a good marketing automation suite. I know you mentioned HubSpot been a massive HubSpot advocate for years. Other than that, it's just about making sure you've got the tags implemented from all the major social platforms and ad platforms to ensure that even if you're not advertising yet, mm. you're pixeling people as they come through so that you can start to build interested lists for the future.
2: Yeah,
0: And that's you know a fairly basic sort of stack, but that's almost all you need really to actually start building out the playbook of what's going to work for the business and how you're going to start delivering on the results you've been tasked to do
1: yeah it's the stuff that goes into it which is the time consuming bit in a way i've really enjoyed this chat nick i mean if people want to follow up with any questions for you what's the best way of them getting in touch with you
0: Connect with me on linkedin i love chatting with people and you know giving advice and you know anything people want to know i'm more than willing to have a chat
1: it's been fantastic i think people can get obsessed with the playbook but actually how you put it you know, you need a playbook, but you've got to build your own playbook it makes a huge amount of sense. So thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. Absolutely, Matt. Appreciate it. Cheers, Nick. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.